Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. This is episode four, Myths Which Need to Die, part two, talking about weapons and lethal force. It took me a bit of time to put this episode together. The reason is that it addresses an extremely important issue, one that most martial artists are woefully ignorant about. That subject and the myths that I'm going to talk about today are not unique to Aikido, but Aikido does share a massive misunderstanding about these myths and propagates them, which needs to be stopped. Let's get right into the myths. A good one to start with is the concept that a knife is a defensive weapon. A knife is not a defensive tool. It is purely offensive in nature. Try this experiment. Have someone take a foam padded stick or a wiffle bat and hit you from a variety of angles. See if you can successfully defend against any of these blows wielding a knife. You might once or twice, but for the most part, you're gonna get hit, a lot. The only success you will achieve with a knife is to disable your attacker with highly injurious and and even lethal attacks. There is little or no defense to be had in a scenario like this. It's at this point a lot of times people fall back on that old saying, the best defense is a good offense. And that, that saying is partially true, but it has some notable drawbacks. The first rule of surviving a knife fight is to avoid being cut or worse, stabbed. As pointed out with the previous example, a knife provides you no protection from being cut or stabbed. In a knife attack, evasive movement is your best friend. If you are in range or even close to range, you are in extreme danger. You are far better off getting something big in between you and the attacker, and that might be an improvised weapon, a larger weapon, or moving behind something big to protect you, maybe a car, garbage can, or a dumpster. Another old saying is worth remembering here, defense wins championships. In real violence, avoiding damage and injury is a key to survival. Probably the most common myth with martial arts instructors and self-defense instructors is the concept that knives are somehow a dueling weapon, as though you will have an, an attacker expose a knife and brandish it in front of you first before they execute their attack, and this is not accurate. More often than not, knife attacks are actually ambushes. They are not duels, and it's very likely you won't see a knife before it's used on you. I can't recommend strongly enough to research this subject on your own. Don't take my word for it or or anybody's lone advice about what the reality of the knife attacks are like. Definitely look into this yourself. One resource I can't recommend strongly enough is an article called Self-Defense Against Knife Attacks, Evidence-Based Approach by Patrice Bonifo. On the last podcast, uh, I made a mistake referring to Patrice as she, and my apologies, Patrice, (laughs) my mistake. At any rate, the information that he puts together is top-notch and is studied by many, many different knife attacks and reports about knife attacks, breakdowns on numbers and statistics that are a wealth of knowledge to understand on this subject. The better your understanding is, the less you will be subject to the myths and the nonsense that's being taught in the martial arts and self-defense world, especially regarding knives. Now let's move on to another common one, and that is that an instructor will often show a disarm with a knife where he grabs the attacker's hand, attaches it to his body perhaps, and turns around and stabs the attacker with his own knife. And it usually is followed with a Cheshire-type smile and a big grin of, oh, well, isn't this cute that I took the attacker and, and used his own knife against him like he stabbed himself as I was just standing here. This is utter and complete nonsense and needs to be rejected entirely. Let's say you're a police officer and you arrive at the scene of a reported stabbing. Let's say you walk into a home and a guy's laying on the ground bleeding with a knife sticking out of him. 
The other guy who was at the scene lives in the home and notifies you that the guy on the floor with the stab wound broke in and stabbed himself with his own knife. Would you find that story believable? A cop likely wouldn't, nor would a prosecutor. You're going to get arrested. The truth is, it doesn't matter who owns the knife that's used to stab or cut someone. Whomever causes the injuries is closely examined for misuse of force. Investigators and prosecutors take the use of deadly weapons very seriously. It's a fact that you have more problems to deal with than merely defending yourself from your attacker. You have to also successfully stay out of the way of the law. That statement leads us to probably the most overstated myth in martial arts. It is better to be tried by 12 than carried by 6. This might very well be the worst myth in the martial arts world. It's a statement you hear a lot in the firearm enthusiast community, and it's pretty much a shoot first and ask questions later type of attitude. And that might be overstating it a little bit, but essentially erring on the side of using too much force is at the heart of this, this myth. It's also common among martial artists who use it to justify all manner of highly injurious or even lethal techniques, even when they have full control over their attacker or those who pose no further threat or ability to do harm. Just because someone started a fight with you, even bringing deadly force against you, that does not give you the right to use excessive force against them. You may win the battle, but you may lose the war. What if you wind up spending years or decades in prison, giving up your career, family, and your future? This may have a far greater impact on the rest of your life than how this fight ends up. And that brings up the big issue I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, and that is the use of lethal force. Getting into the subject of the use of lethal force starts us down a bit of a rabbit hole, which is the legal perspective. So bear with me as we get into this a little bit. First, the disclaimer. I am not a lawyer, and I am in no way providing legal advice. The intention of bringing this subject up is to make you aware of how serious the subject is and how far off martial artists and self-defense folks are on the subject of lethal force. Consider this the opening of a door into a realm every martial artist should research for themselves. The use of lethal force goes not only for knives and deadly weapons, but highly injurious techniques such as punching to the throat or throwing someone to the ground, especially throwing them on their head. Even a simple punch to the face can be lethal, almost never from the punch itself, but from the target falling down and hitting his head on something hard like pavement or a door frame. These are often referred to as one-punch kills, and they do happen. The one who threw the punch goes through a serious ordeal afterwards. Even if you are completely in the right defending yourself using force, it can easily cost you twenty dollars to $25,000 to go through the court process. This will be legal fees, attorney fees, as well as time off your work, uh, taken away from your family. It's very, very stressful. It takes months, if not years, to complete the process, depending on the complexities of the self-defense situation. If someone was seriously injured or worse, prosecutors tend to want to find someone guilty, even if the most rational person would believe such injuries were justified. The latitude given to someone who hurts an attacker in self-defense can vary a great deal depending on the jurisdiction you're in, but never count that you will find a sympathetic prosecutor. If you injured someone, count on getting charged and having the legal machine go over the incident, your actions, and dig through your past with a fine-tooth comb. A myth that seems plausible on its face but isn't is the idea that you can kill someone who pulls a deadly weapon on you. This is not correct, although it seems though at first blush. It doesn't matter if you're in your own house or someone else started a, a situation of a violent attack against you. One moment you can be in the right to use force to defend yourself and in an instant you can suddenly be using excessive force. 
So what makes the difference? One is self-defense using force or even lethal force justified. In cases where the defender was justified in using a high level of force or even lethal force is under imminent danger of great bodily harm or death. The instant that imminent danger is no longer present, there is no justification for the use of lethal force. If somebody believes that they are merely acting in self-defense and they keep using force past the point where that imminent danger is no longer present, they are, can be liable now for the inappropriate use of force and can be charged with, charged with assault of many different varieties. It may not be obvious in the moment how serious of an attack you may find yourself inflicting on another person. There was a story from a few years ago about a guy who tried to sue Nike for $100 million for not having put a warning label on their shoes that the shoes were considered dangerous weapons when used to ground stomp somebody in the head. The case itself was a hoodlum pimp in Oregon who beat up a John and for that and a series of other crimes received a 100-year prison sentence. A John is a slang term for somebody who hires a prostitute. Using a dangerous weapon in the commission of a violent crime often increases the sentence, and in Oregon, shoes are considered dangerous weapons when worn to kick somebody on the ground. Shoes worn in an attack like this may or may not be viewed as dangerous weapons depending on your jurisdiction. The underlying lesson here is that the instant you are no longer in imminent danger of physical harm, you lose any right to cause further harm or injury to protect yourself. I think this is something that most attorneys and prosecutors would probably agree with, but please go talk to one yourself and find out firsthand. Of course it's wise to find every reason to avoid violence, but recognize when all reasonable options are exhausted and violence is the only option left. Once it starts, you must find your fastest and easiest way out of it. The instant the threat to you is stopped, you must not continue causing harm or you will be liable both legally and morally. This topic is highly relevant to Aikidoists because of the idea that Aikido uses throws to the ground. Now we get kind of spoiled on the mat when we are working with partners who are used to being thrown. They can take ukemi, they can roll, they can get to the ground safely. But most people don't know how to do that. A, even a simple turn and a throw can drop somebody right on their head. As I stated before with the one-punch deaths, the deaths are often when the, somebody's head hits the ground or hit something hard like a curb or a door frame or something hard like a metal table leg. So the idea of throwing somebody to the ground and having that be a, a peaceful way out is, is a reverse thinking. Throwing somebody to the ground can be the hardest hit they will ever take. What I've described here is only scratching the surface of the subject of the use of lethal force for self-defense. I implore you once again to research it more on your own and build a solid level of understanding. It could be some of the most important wisdom you ever need. If you have other myths which need to die, I'd love to hear from you. If I get enough to add to this list, I'll do another podcast with them. You can leave comments on the YouTube video of this podcast or visit the Facebook group Aikido the Marshall site to get in contact with me. Give a thumbs up, a comment, a like, and subscribe to this podcast. I deeply appreciate your support. Enjoy your training.